Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 74 of The Storytellers. Today, we're going to be with Leslie Rasmussen, and we're going to find out what happens after Happily Ever After, as well as talking a bit about her upcoming book as well. I had so much fun preparing for today's episode. Not only is Leslie's book What Happens After Happily Ever After an award winner, but she has an most amazing career writing for television comedies, doing essays. She has a master's degree in nutrition, and she's a sought-after speaker for What Happens to Women in Middle Age as We Transition. So Leslie, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Grace. I'm thrilled to be here. It's really an honor. And I want to start right with you're a sought after speaker for women in midlife. Talk about that. Well, I've done a lot of speaking about women being able to change their life in midlife and not just sit down and say, now what do I do to try and figure out what those things are that make them happy. And so I've talked a lot about instead of midlife crisis, it's more like a midlife empowerment. And that because crisis is a very negative word. It makes it sound like there's something wrong with you. And a lot of women just want to start a whole new chapter of their lives. So I talk about that um, and a lot of things about transition and growth in midlife. Well, th those are all topics near and dear to my heart. I'm older than you are, but my book very much is about how do we solve those questions and how do we move forward with a life that is rich and empowering, which is something you've done. But before we talk about your life as a novelist, you know, it sounds very romantic to be able to say, oh, I wrote sitcoms for Drew Carey, Burt Reynolds, Roseanne Barr, and so many more. And on some wonderful um, shows, The Wild Thornberries and Sweet Valley High. How did you get into that? I have always been fascinated by movie studios, and I used to sneak onto them when I was young um, because it was long before 9-11, and you could kind of sneak on even when you were only 14 and nobody stopped you. And my father wrote a lot, and he graduated from USC with a, a graduate degree in cinematography, and he wrote for his job, even though he didn't write after that. And I went to work at MTM, which was MTM, Mary Tyler Moore Studios, mm -hmm. many years ago after college. And I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to just go into production. And through a series of things that happened and watching a lot of sitcoms, I naively thought I could do that. It did not look that hard. So, and everything I'd always written in my past short stories were always humorous. So I just started writing and I wrote for every, at the time you would just pick a show and you would write what was called a spec script. And I wrote a ton of them. And I met a woman at MTM when I was working there who was on Major Dad. I don't know if you know that show, sure. it was with Gerald McCraney. And so she became my champion. And there weren't as many women writing comedy in the business or even writers. So she became my champion and she helped me get an agent and she helped me get my first script on Major Dad. And I loved every bit of it. I still do love, you know, I don't write for television anymore, but I would go back to it if I could. Well, that's that sounds like it wasn't as hard as it looked. 
At the time, surprisingly, it wasn't. Now my uh, oldest son wants to do it and kids that are getting, I started writing when I was 20, like 21, 22, but I didn't sell a script until I think I was like 23 or 24, which is really young. Now you're, most people are in their thirties when they sell scripts. So it's the business has changed. People from all over the world now come out here to get in the business. It wasn't like that as much all those years ago. So it wasn't as hard. So huge difference between writing what is ultimately about a 20 minute sitcom, super fast paced, uh, 40 or so pages to a script and 350 some odd pages to a novel. So you made an interesting transition. And I think in an interesting way, you did not set out to write a novel. You set out to do research. I set out, you know, I did set out to do research and talk to people. I was going to write nonfiction. And I talked to so many women and just through all the interviews I did and everything that I was going through, I started to realize I would rather make it fiction. So it's not just based on a whole bunch. I had to keep everybody anonymous during all the interviews that I did. And I thought it was better to write fiction because so many women have the same experience. So I thought it would be more fun for me to just sort of make up these characters. I was also the sandwich generation. I was dealing with my parents getting older. And there's so many real, uh, issues that are relatable to so many people. And I have had men read my book too and thought it was relatable, but it's really more women's fiction. Well, I loved, you know, I'm a, I'm a research nerd, if you will. So I loved that uh, this novel, which was not going to be a novel, actually started out with you doing surveys of what are women going through. Is that right? Yes, I did anonymous surveys online and with all my friends and I told them to turn them in to a special, um, it was a special email, I think, this was a long time ago. And they didn't put names on it. And so I did all of that research. And then for the book, I ended up actually doing more research because I wanted to meet with, because of one of the characters, what they're going through. I met with a neuropsychologist. I got on all these Facebook groups and I did a whole bunch of research on um, dementia and things like that too. Well, I totally enjoyed what happens after Happily Ever After. I love the title. I love the characters. So tell us what that journey was like for you in terms of, okay, now it's time for a novel, not 40 <laughs> pages, 300 plus. I still wasn't going to write a novel when I started. Um, I, I took a writing workshop with a friend that was like a continuous thing. And we met once a month. And it really just started out as prompts. It was like, write about your grandmother's kitchen, write about, you know, whatever those were. And I kept realizing I was writing about this one character. And I kept putting her in all these situations of these prompts. And she just kept developing and developing. And the prompts turned into what I thought would be, oh, wow, this could be a book. Like if I keep going with these kind of things. So the book, I mean, you were saying 22 minutes in a sitcom takes, I mean, we were given a week at the most to write the sitcom. I mean, it, you know, it was fast. The book, first book took me four and a half years because I truly didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was also writing a lot of essays for Huffington Post and those were all personal essays about my family, my kids, my husband, my parents, and they were all humorous. So I was kind of playing around with that too at the time 
But writing the book was not easy, the first one. I didn't know, have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> well, it comes across, you know, I, I love that your humor, um, you know, I don't know if people are naturally funny or you just have to work at it, but your book is told um, from multiple points of view, which I want to talk about. It is humorous. It is heartbreaking. You can cry. So let's get some details into what happens happily ever after, after happily ever after. In the book? I mean, just, just describe yeah, the book. Just tell well, us about the book. Basically, it's about a 45-year-old protagonist, which I haven't seen very often. So I also wanted to make somebody a little bit more midlife. And her husband and her have this wonderful relationship, but they're both going through something and they're not communicating about what it is. So she's feeling kind of lonely in her marriage right now. Her daughter is uh, a senior in high school about to go off to college. And she's starting to hit that empty nest idea. And she's realizing that she had this great career at some point in her life. And now she's given it up to raise her daughter, which is great, but she doesn't know what the second part of her life is going to be. And she realizes it's her time to redefine who she is in the second chapter. And through that, she also has parents and um, her father begins to go through some things and that's her rock. And when that happens, her whole life feels like it's being upended, everything she's known. And she begins to make decisions that she normally wouldn't make, and they're not the best decisions, but she has to go through it to both find her voice and figure out who she is. I loved that you were able to tell this story because I don't like necessarily multiple points of view books. I can, depending on the author, I can find them very confusing. Why is this voice now in my head? I, why do I not get to hear what happens to Maggie for four more chapters? I thought you did that seamlessly. What kind of work was like that for you? Oh, thank you so much. Well, I had realized that when you write a book from um, the first person and everything that happens has to be through the first person's eyes. And I really wanted to tell the story of what her husband's going through that she doesn't know. And I wanted the reader to know what he was going through. And I also wanted the reader to see what the father's journey is like when he's going through something, because, you know, you don't always see that person's point of view about everything that they're going through. And so I really wanted to do that, those, those two points of views. And that way the story could start, I mean, and be mostly Maggie, but the reader could get the feeling of what the husband was going through and the father. So that's why I did it that way. And was that intentional or was that developmental? It was a little of both. Um, I started out writing it from Maggie's point of view, and then I realized, you know what, I really want to see, and I want to feel what the father's going through even more than what her husband's going through. And I, so I kind of figured that out as I was going. I thought you had great sensitivity to her parents because you, you mentioned that her dad is her rock, her mother decidedly not so. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought that you had great sensitivity for both of those and how you handled some of those story arcs. Did you talk to a lot of older people or are you just naturally sensitive to that? Well, I have older parents and my father who passed away six years ago, but he was alive while I was writing the first draft of the book. But also I was very close with my grandparents my in-laws, and I saw a lot of that. And I also was on a Facebook page that was actually through England, but they allowed me to be on it to listen to caregivers because the people that they were caregiving 
had all these issues. And so I got to listen to what their specific, what they specifically saw in the person that they were caregiving. And they talked about medications and they talked about different things that would happen with them. Um, and my mother was my dad's caregiver for the last five years of his life. So I felt like I kind of knew that world. Oh, very much so. It comes across as particularly believable. And, you know, I don't know why. Maybe it's because, you know, I still miss my dad, but I just loved your treatment of your dad or the oh, dad. Maggie's well, dad. You know, the father was this one character who was similar to my father, but not really. But after my father passed away and he had never read the book, I went back in because I was really close with him. So I put in some things from my childhood and some things my father would say, and I made the relationship between Maggie and her father more like it was with my father. So that's, that's the only person in the book that's really sort of a little bit based on somebody. And that's really a joy, isn't it? When you can tuck in, whether they're Easter eggs, as we call them, just those little things that, you know, you and your dad knew and maybe readers don't. Yes, but exactly. That makes, yeah. it makes it. And that's why it also comes more true. Their relationship it seems really great and really real because it is a lot of it. It seems like my relationship I have with my father. And I'm glad that you pointed that out because one of the things I read about you and in prepping for today, real and authentic is very important to you. Very important to me. Yes, I. I mean, I've never really read fantasy books, but the books that I like to read are more about real people and real situations. So it's very important to me to be as authentic as I can. And that's important to you in your author life as well. It's not just in your novel life. It's, yes. you are a very authentic person. <laughs> you <Thank> are, <laughs> which is, is a delight to see you on social media because you are. <laughs> well, that's good, thank you. You're welcome. Now, it took you like many of us years to write that first novel. But now you've got another one out right after, pretty, pretty much right after. Was it that um, speed writing that you learned in your sitcom days or were you just compelled? Tell us. Well, my newest book is called The Stories We Cannot Tell. It's coming out. Um, they're pushing for it to come out this summer. Uh, so I don't have a, I have a tentative date, but not really. They just said early summer. And um, that book, I started over COVID and it was much faster. I mean, from beginning to end of the first draft, it was probably about 10 months. So it was a big difference. But then of course you rewrite it for like a hundred years. So <laughs> I, yes, like, yes. you know, I just finished it not that long ago because I went through the editing process with an editor. So it really was officially finished in September, but I did write it very quickly. <laughs> So tell us the premise and tell us a little bit about the book. So the book is a friendship book, but it's also deals with infertility, miscarriage, um, abortion, a love story, family. It deals with a whole bunch and hope, actually. It deals with a whole bunch of things. It's about two women who are from very different backgrounds that end up meeting in a support group when they both go through the same type of tragedy and they bond and they have to figure out what they're gonna do. And so that's really what it is. And it just deals with a lot of issues that women have, but it also has humor. So there are some really heartbreaking scenes in it, but there's also a lot of humor. So this is part of your brand, heartbreaking humor, heartbreaking yeah. humor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what I like. Well, that's real life. I mean, when people even pass away and you're talking about memories, 
you're usually laughing at at least some of the things that have happened. Absolutely. And to find that humor is so important. Have you always been funny? You know, it's really interesting because I am not, I don't think I'm funny, like boom, boom, boom. Like I know people that are like really, really funny. I am funny on paper, <laughs> so, but I'm not as funny just like in talking, you know, people say, oh, are you going to say something funny? It's like, no, <laughs> probably <laughs> no, not. But, but I, I could write something down. Room. Yes. You know, I have to write it down to be funny, but sometimes I have a sarcastic humor. So, you know, I can be very fun and sarcastic, but yeah. How do you think the second book will change your author identity, if at all? Um, I'm hoping that since it's my second book and not my first, it will be even go wider. And I'm really hoping the right readers, and I think there's a million readers that are women that have gone through so many things with pregnancies. Those are the women I'm aiming the book at. And I'm really hoping that they find out about it because I think it will be in some ways therapeutic for a lot of people. Oh, I hope so as well. I, I, as I said, I've read your first book. I'll be eager to read your second. You. Uh, in terms of the writing process, I know some authors, you know, they pace out the whole thing. They have, here's where we're, here's where we're going to have the joke and now we're going to crush. Do you have a pacing and a beat system or how, how do you write? I did have that for TV sitcoms um, because you have to. For the book, I, I never always know where it's going. And sometimes the characters lead you into a certain place. So I do write an outline. Um, the first book after Happily Ever After, I did not write an outline, which is pretty funny because that's all I ever did in sitcoms um, because I was so scared to write an outline and have to stick to it. And then I realized you can write an outline and you can go anywhere you want. You know, you don't have to stick with it. True story. So, yeah, so the second one, right. I really wrote an outline and I did stick with it. There were things that came up that I just threw in there that was shocking to me because I didn't expect to put them in, um, but I pretty much did an outline. So whatever books I do after this, I will do an outline because I think it's really important because with the first one, I ended up having to write an outline in the middle of the book because I did not know what the crazy middle was. And that's always the hardest part is the crazy middle. Oh, I agree. I know the beginning, I mean, I know the middle is a blur, but I've mm -hmm. got my beginning, I've got my end. And then it's like, how do I make those two things come together? Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about author community. You are a member of the Writers Guild of America, Women in Film and Women's Fiction Writers Association. Talk about the importance of writing communities to you and your work. I think they save you. I mean, writing is such an, a lonely process. And in television, you're in a room with a whole bunch of people. So you always have somebody to bounce something off of. The writing community, I have found authors are incredibly nice and incredibly supportive. And I have found so many wonderful authors, you included, that you. you can talk to and say, look, I'm stuck or I need help or send your book to somebody because you have a scene that you don't know if it's working. And they are really good friends and they become very close to you and they give the best notes so I find that the community of authors has saved my life because otherwise I'd be sitting by myself and just writing and I wouldn't know anything. Um, you know, my husband is a writer. He's a TV writer. So and he's the best writer I've ever met. So I always let him edit, do the first edit on my book. And he gives me great notes, too. And then I go to I have a, a woman who's an executive for um, a production company. She gives me great notes, even though she's not a writer. 
but she reads a lot of stuff and she gives notes to other writers. So I go to certain people for help with all of that. I, I would couldn't echo what you say more. You and I are both fans of the amazing Amy, Fer Amy Ferris. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and, and uh, you, you know, Amy is so well-connected, her amazing memoir, Marion George Clooney, she's got another one coming out, yes. but uh, she is so emblematic for me of lifting up other authors in the process and such a great role model as you she are. She wrote a blurb for my second and my first book, but my second book also. And I just saw her at a writing summit I was at for the whole week. So it was really fun. Yeah, I noticed. I, I saw your comments there. I was sorry. I could not get to Santa yeah. Fe, hopefully in the future. But amazingly, Leslie, we are out of time at the Storyteller's Microphone. Before we end, tell us something quirky about you that people won't normally know if they're not finding you somewhere. <laughs> okay. Something I don't really advertise. Um, I was... Um, Years and years and years ago, when I was in middle school, I was a bowler and I lived in Los Angeles and my bowling team won all of the Los Angeles City School System's number one award for bowling. <laughs> so I had a lot of trophies, which I don't have anymore. But yes, that's what we did. And I so thought you were going to go with your passion for Billy Joel. <laughs> no, that's Lee. Oh, you're <laughs> you right. Lee. She has a huge, I mean, I love Billy Joel too. That was my very first concert I ever went to in my whole life. Lee is the one. That's you are like, true. It is Lee yes. Bukowski, another one of our yes. favorites here on um, our bookish world. So bowling trophies. Okay. I'm, I'm looking for posts on those for sure. <laughs> I probably um, will never do them. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, I totally enjoyed what happens after Happily Ever After. Tell us the name of your new book coming out soon. It's called The Stories We Cannot Tell. And Leslie Rasmussen, where can people find you? They can find me on my website at lesliearasmussen.com. I'm on Instagram at leslierauthor and Twitter at leslierauthor and on Facebook at lesliearasmussenauthor. And my books are everywhere books are sold. Leslie, thank you for being on The Storytellers. Thank you so much, Grace, for having me. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.